You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be here with you. Hey, look at us. We, we did it. I feel, I feel good about how this went. Let's open the book, okay? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. This is, they're, they're all wonderful, right? You expect to hear a pastor say that, that all the chapters in the Bible are wonderful, but this is a really wonderful chapter of God's word today. I think it's gonna encourage us. Um, Before you get too comfortable, will you go ahead and stand in reverence for the reading of God's word today? Philippians chapter four, that's in the New Testament, halfway through, give or take. We're gonna be in verses four through nine today. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. This is God's word. Um, Y'all can have a seat today. Uh, So we are into week number two of a four-week series starting out the year here that we call Anxious for Nothing. And last week I kind of unpacked at the beginning that the reason um, that we're talking about anxiety starting out the year is, number one, we have a cultural crisis around anxiety on our hands. A lot of the people that you are interacting with are struggling with chronic anxiety. So think of um, fight or flight, right? God made your body um, to when you get backed into a corner um, to either fight or flight. Some of y'all love to fight. Some of y'all love to flight. Some of y'all love to do both. Okay. Um, But that is a very helpful gift that God has given us. But anxiety, what tends to happen um, is that your body sort of gets stuck in fight or flight mode and you just can't put the weight down. Um, I was reading a book called The Common Rule this last week, and the author said something I resonated with. He said, um, there was a peace that my mind knew um, that my heart longed to believe, but that my body refused to accept. You know that kind of anxiety that just, as as you're reciting scripture, you're praying, you're doing all of the right things, and yet it feels like your body just will not accept the reality um, that God has you. Um, And so because of this, we need to to come back and remember what God says about our relationship with anxiety. And um, the other thing that we unpacked last week was that um, anxiety is not just a cultural out there problem. Um, cultural uh, anxiety is our problem. 
right? Even as a church family, we are, uh, many of us, including myself, have felt the weight of anxiety over the last several years of um, the phrase that I feel like if I, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to just lose my mind of unprecedented times, right? How many unprecedented times can we face in the period of two years? This is what brings us to the moment of anxiety. And so, this week, the text brings us um, to the conversation around anxiety in conflict and anxiety um, in relationship. That's the context of what Paul is talking about right here. Um, by, way of, uh, by way of kind of starting and digging into this text, I want us to practice some mass confession. It's good for the soul every once in a while. How many of you have experienced conflict in a relationship? You can go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, most of us and the rest of you are liars, okay? Because that's what happens in relationships. You can't have a relationship without conflict. And for, for some of us, we're very aware of that, right? Because we, we almost feel some, some joy and some closeness when we have conflict with people, even like just healthy sparring. Like I walked in this morning and I heard, uh, heard some of my friends talking about um, electric cars and immediately in my heart, cause I'm not like a look for conflict kind of guy. I'm like, can everybody just like, you guys want a sucker? Like, is everything okay? Um, and they were just talking and enjoying themselves. Right. Um, but then some of us feel conflict and other people don't know we have conflict with them, but we have conflict with them in our hearts. Right. We didn't, we didn't tell them that we're at odds with them. But in our heart of hearts, we're walking away going, I feel like blocked in relationship with that person. And I'm bearing the anxiety of it. And when we walk into conflict, our awareness of God goes out the window most of the time. Just goes out the window. And right here in these short verses we're spending our time in, Paul is continuing the idea that Jesus introduced to us last week in Matthew chapter six. In verse two and verse three, right before the passage where we're really spending our time, um, Paul, he starts out and he says, I entreat Yodia and Sintiq to agree in the Lord. These are two people in the church at Philippi who are experiencing conflict. And he wants them to agree in the Lord. That means to have unity around their faith in Jesus, to have love restored for one another. And dare I say, not even just like love, but like restored. You know the difference, right? Like sometimes we say, I love you, and we mean it almost as a threat, right? But to say that warmth has returned in my heart for you is an altogether different thing. And that's what Paul is commending them to do. And then he tells the church, he tells their friends to help these women reconnect. Don't miss this. It is our responsibility to help one another live with true peace. With true peace between one another because it is causing us such grave anxiety. It is such a detriment to our souls. And here's the bad news. Here's the bad news that's running in the background of this whole passage. There's a lot of good news, but here's the bad news. I want to give it to you straight. Um, we look for peace in all the wrong places. Man, we just do. Like you're trying to keep your head above the water, right? 
trying to survive your relationships and, and will medicate, right? Late night Netflix. For me lately, I've been really into watching home building videos on YouTube. And so man, if you, if you ever call me, you're like, Nick, what are you doing? I'm watching a home building video. Just go ahead and come over to my house. Okay. Something's probably wrong. Um, we medicate with entertainment or media. We hide, we isolate ourselves from relationship, or maybe we go the other way, and it's like we just nitpick every single thing in every relationship, and all of our relationships feel like war. Um, Jesus is inviting us to a different kind of conflict, a different kind of peace. And, and by doing that, he tells us again and again and again in different ways to look at God. Become aware of the presence of God. You longing for peace in your relationships? You need to pay attention to God and go into those relationships with an awareness of who he is. That's what Paul is trying to pull our eyes back toward this morning. So if you need some peace... And if you are anxious, if you are struggling in your relationships, if you feel it in your heart that like, man, I am, I am distanced from so many people because I've just eaten conflict and eaten conflict and never dealt with it. Hear the word of the Lord this morning and listen to me, be free. Okay, there's freedom for you in obeying the word of God this morning. Here's, here's the point of the passage, I think. If I want you to sort of write one thing down or capture this central idea, here's what Paul is saying. He says, peace is made possible by the God who is enjoyable, personal, and generous. How is peace possible? It's because this God who is unbelievably enjoyable, who fills our soul with delight when we actually look at him, the God who is personal and intimate, the one who is walking into anxiety and conflict with you, and the God who is generous with his peace, the God who loves to give his peace, he is the one who makes real peace possible this morning. And so, man, this text is a wonderful, wonderful invitation to us. And I think it gives us three, um, three encouragements or three what the Bible calls an exhortation, like a call to uh, a specific thing. Here are the three, and then we'll unpack them. Number one, rejoice seriously. Rejoice seriously. Number two, pray urgently. Pray urgently. And then number three, think intentionally. Think intentionally. Let's start. Point number one, rejoice seriously. Look back at the Bible with me in verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. Notice how Paul starts this little section out right here. He is so intense about what he's commanding right here. He doubles up. Did you notice that? Rejoice in the Lord. And most of us would easily read past that. Rejoice in the Lord. Got it. And then Paul says, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Rejoice in the Lord. Do you hear? This is like emphatic. That means he's getting serious. He's, this is the moment in the conversation where he's putting his hand on your shoulder. He's like, hold on, I need to make eye contact with you. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Um, I love it. Uh, Martin Luther is quoted as saying, I can't start the day off right um, unless I get my soul happy in God first. Like, unless my perspective is like, I'm finding my joy in who God is, I don't stand a chance walking into the day that's in front of me. Like, y'all, you don't have to read the Bible in the morning. There's no magic to like, morning time is more spiritual. But I'm just going to tell you from like a very practical perspective, starting your day focused on who God is and what he has done who God has made you to be and what he has called you to do in light of those things changes the trajectory of everything ahead of you. And so goodness, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be intense. It doesn't have to be three hours, right? I know life can get complicated when you have young children or when you're out the door early for work. I'm telling you like turn the Bible. You can listen to the Bible listen to the word of God in the morning and, and get your heart happy in him. That is what Paul is telling us to do right here. He's saying, get serious about rejoicing. Have you ever gotten serious about joy? Isn't that an interesting thought? We usually get very serious and disciplined about things that we don't like to do, right? I'm going to work out nine times a week this year. It's the second week of January. How's it going? Right? Things that are good for us, to be sure. But things that often, if we're honest, we dread doing. And what Paul is saying right here is I want you to get so disciplined about joy that you cannot walk into your day without it. If you walked into conflict with the joy of the Lord in your heart, you know how different your experience of conflict would be? You know how different your experience with anxiety would be? But then he throws this word in, in verse four, that should puzzle us and humble us. Rejoice in the Lord, what's it say? Always. Always? Really? I mean, goodness, the, the Philippian church was in no shortage of difficulty and pain, as Paul is writing to them. In fact, Paul is likely writing these words from a jail cell. And Paul is saying, joy is possible here. Now, either Paul is giving us some vision of faith and life that is this sort of like this unattainable ideal or, and what I'm going to suggest to you, the word of God is saying this morning, Paul is tapped into something that is deep and beautiful and hear me, life altering. Rejoice always for the Philippian church, for you and for me. I want to tell you some good news this morning. Real joy is actually possible for you. I know that some of you are walking into the room this morning or listening in online this morning and you are convinced that joy can never be again. 
that real joy can't return to your life and to your heart. And can I tell you from the word of God this morning, Paul is trying to grab you by the shoulders. The Holy Spirit wants to grab you by the shoulders this morning and tell you real joy is possible. It's possible. I want you to see this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. You can throw that up on the screen for me. I'm going to read it to you. I'll flip over. This is important. I don't want you to miss it. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 10. I'll just read it to you here. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Again, Paul writing, he tells us, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Joy, real Christian joy, is not rooted in your circumstances. And that should free you this morning because some of you have really hard circumstances and you're looking at that thinking joy is impossible. But can I tell you this morning, it is not where you're rejoicing from that makes it possible. It is who you're rejoicing in. It is the one that you are finding your joy in, not the things going on around you that can actually download real and true joy into your soul. I grew up in, in Southern Illinois and spent a lot of time on the Ohio River. And the Ohio, I think, is an underrated river as far as rivers go. I don't know. You can, you can debate that later or we can talk after, but I think the Ohio River is a great river. Um, the thing about it, though, we would, we'd often get out in canoes or kayaks, which is um, when you have barges and stuff go by, can get kind of, kind of tricky, right? And the thing that was said to me again and again as we get out on the high Ohio River is you have to be very careful of the undertow. You gotta be careful of the undertow. Like whatever's going on, on the surface, you see, you'll see big logs get pushed. Sometimes you'll see the water get stirred up or the wake will happen because of the barges. But the thing about the undertow is that no matter what's going on on the surface, it is steadily pushing and pushing and pushing. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be slowed. And if you get stuck in the undercurrent, guess what? You're getting sucked down the river. There's nothing you can do to stop the undertow. And friend, that is the same picture here that Paul is giving us of Christian rejoicing that there is an undertow running underneath your life of joy that regardless of what is happening on the surface and around you, there is a joy that cannot be stopped. An unquenchable reality. And friend, this is not merely a command for you to rejoice. I want you to remember, this is a, this is a command to rejoice in the Lord. If you don't believe joy is possible, can I turn your eyes toward Jesus this morning? He is trying to make eye contact with you through his word right now. 
He is no stranger to difficulty. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends. He knows what it's like to be confused, to be perplexed by the painfulness of circumstances. And he went all the way through them to the point of death. Like friend, you have a Lord who is with you, who didn't stop where you are. He is always ahead of you in what you're experiencing. If you're not dead yet, Jesus has gone further. He's gone further. He is with you and he is ahead of you. He's grabbing you by the hand and he wants to pull you gently and lovingly, but hear me, seriously along. He can pull you. Rejoice in the Lord. See, I think we've lost the idea that joy is an essential discipline. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to put your feelings in the driver's seat of your life. Um, I heard somebody say this last week. Um, my, my feelings can uh, come along, but they can't drive, right? And that's, a, that's kind of a good, a good picture. I'm not telling you to put your feelings in the driver's seat, but I am telling you to get very serious about joy. What might a discipline of joy look like in your life? I was inspired by a friend this morning talking about um, just sitting down and making a list of all the goodness that she's seen God bring into her life in the middle of a really hard season. She disciplined herself to say, you know what? I know there's a lot going on around me, but I am going to set my face to look at all the goodness of God, all the goodness that God has brought around. What might that discipline look like for you? That's something for you to reflect on. God, how can I set my face to look at the enjoyable realities around me, even when my circumstances feel like death? You see, Paul assumes, we know by the next phrase, that if these people take his command to rejoice seriously, if they take him up on it, they are going to become the most reasonable people. Look at verse five. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know what reasonableness is, right? You don't use that word a lot, maybe in conversation, but it means, it means measured, It means like even keel, undisturbed a little bit by the ups and downs of life. Some translations even render this word as gentleness. Like man, as you rejoice in the Lord, you become more gentle. Like in conflict, in relationship, the thing that used to cause you anxiety, now you're patient with this other person because you're like, man, I I know how hard this is. I still love you. Reasonableness is the thing that allows us to keep the long arc perspective. To be able to say that the future is bright outside of the present darkness I'm experiencing. Can I tell you for the Christian, for the one in Christ, it will never not be true that the best is yet to come. Like, and I, th- I think God will give us glimpses of that before the end. He will. We got to look. We got to pay attention, right? But I want you to hear, there's a day coming when sorrow 
will be a distant memory. And in a day that only every other day, your capacity for joy grows because you're in the presence of the living God. Like somehow I'm more joyful than I was yesterday because my heart is bigger because I have capacity for it. That is the future for the Christian. And Paul says all of this from prison. What's your prison right now? Friend, joy is available to you. It's real, it's present, and it's a gift to just be received. When you look up this morning and rejoice seriously. That's not the only thing the text gives us as an antidote to anxiety. The text commands us to pray urgently. Look at the second half of verse five. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is beautiful. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice how Paul sets up this command to pray urgently right here. He says, don't be anxious. Like don't carry on your own self the weight of the future, but do pray. Right? You see how those are like opposite sides of the same coin right here. Don't be anxious. Do pray. He is getting at something really significant right here. I don't want you to miss this today. This I think is in your digital sermon notes if you're using those today. Anxiety is fear turned inward. Isn't that how you experience anxiety? Well, what do I do about this? How am I going to navigate this relationship? What is this person thinking of me? Are they enjoying this sermon, right? All all the things that are running maybe through my own head and my own heart right now. Anxiety turns those questions inward and spirals out of control into one's self. But hear this, if anxiety is fear turned in, guess what prayer is? Anxiety turned up. Not turned up in volume, but turned up to God, released up to him. Prayer, I think a a fair way to talk about prayer is worrying to God, right? You don't take the worry into yourself. You give it to him. Like, God, here's the weight that I'm bearing. Anxiety is fear turned inward, but prayer is fear turned upward. I want you to imagine yourself for just a moment. You're at the base camp of Mount Everest, and you only brought your Jansport day pack. But Jesus is next to you, and Jesus is a good Sherpa. You know what a Sherpa is? A a mountain man who will take you up that hill no matter what, and Jesus has a big backpack. He's got the North Face suit on, these big gnarly boots, and he sees you over there, and you're trying to decide what you can carry. You're like, I really need matches, I think, and oxygen seems important once we get up there. What am I going to take? Am I going to take this and leave that out? And you're talking to yourself, and Jesus comes over 
with his giant backpack and he taps you on the shoulder, he looks you in the eye and he says, will you just let me carry that? That's the invitation of prayer. Like you're walking around carrying the weight of your own anxiety on your shoulders and Jesus is calling you in prayer to say, hey, 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 will you just let me carry that? Will you give that to me? Church family, this morning, don't miss this. Stop carrying your fear. You can't carry the weight of it. There is a reason that it's crushing you because you were not designed to carry that weight. Jesus is a good Sherpa. Jesus can carry the weight on his back. He wants to carry your fear this morning. And here's how he tells us to do it. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's an interesting phrase right there. You know what supplication is? It is an urgent and bold request. It's like, I need you here right now. I know that's a lot to ask. I know you probably got other stuff going on, but I need, I need you here right now. And to do it with thanksgiving is to embrace the belief that when you take your massive and heavy request to Jesus, that he's glad to carry the weight for you. Like, how can you be thankful carrying the weight of your anxiety to Jesus? Because you have a Lord who is happy to carry it. Like Jesus is not rolling his eyes. And he, he doesn't give like you and I give, where, we're, where somebody asks something big of us and we find ourselves in our head calculating, do I have enough energy? Do I have enough resources? Do I have the time? Do I have the space to be able to do this for you without losing myself? Jesus has all the resources in the universe. He is never more wearied by bearing the weight of your heart and soul. He's actually only energized by bearing the weight of who you are. He's happy to do it. He's happy to do it. And so friend, I want to invite you, and I think this is what the text is, is doing for us. Next time you find yourself feeling anxious, next time you find yourself having an imaginary conversation about a conflict that's to come, instead of just simply mulling that over in your own heart, trying to figure it out, will you stop yourself for just a moment? Next time you feel yourself doing it, say, hey, I feel, okay, something's happening. And I want you to look up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am carrying blank. But right now, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Amen. And when you say amen, and for a second you feel the fog of anxiety clear and you take another step forward, and then the fog begins to set back in and the anxiety creeps back into your heart, I want you to stop yourself and say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. The fog rolls out and then another step and the fog rolls back in. Friend, this is the dynamic with anxiety in a, in a broken and sinful world. 
This is not a one and done solution to anxiety. This is an invitation to walking with God. See, for God to give us a solution of anxiety that leads us away from moment by moment walking with him would actually be cruelty. God is telling us, you need to need me. You need to walk with me. Moment by moment, what if, and dare I say this, your anxiety this morning was actually a gift from God because he's trying to get you to finally lean on him finally press into him, finally walk to him. How quick are we to walk away from him when things are great? Because he finally did the things we asked for. But in our anxiety and our fear, you know how much more aware we are of our need for God? It's like, if, you, if I don't have you, I'm not gonna breathe. I'm not gonna make it. And when you recognize that, you are realizing the true state of the universe that you need God. So often when I think through my anxieties, I find myself thinking like, man, that is such a petty anxiety. I shouldn't be anxious about that. And truthfully, that's probably true. But it is irrelevant to ask in terms of giving it to God. Like, man, that's so petty. I really can't give that to Jesus. I'm going to handle that one on my own. No, no, no. Jesus, I have petty anxiety about, I, I, wa- I watched a movie a couple of weeks ago about an asteroid coming for Earth. And then last week I was like, man, what if there's an asteroid? That's, that, that stinks, right? Um, and it feels weird to pray like, Jesus, make me not anxious about the asteroid that's probably not coming. But nevertheless, right, if, if my son Bennett comes to me, right, and he's like, I'm worried about my toys, right, do you think I'm going to look at him and say, you dummy? <laughs> of course not. He's my son. And you have to believe that if you are in Christ, God is your father. And you can come into his presence with boldness. And say, Lord, I know this is petty. I know this, this is silly, but I'm giving it to you and I need you to change my heart. He's happy to do it. When we embrace this dynamic of prayer, of rejecting anxiety and turning to prayer, making these urgent requests to God with thanksgiving that he hears us, that he's glad to embrace us. The text even tells us what happens It forms a life of this, verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, meaning it is not connected to circumstances, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I read a commentator thinking about this verse earlier this week, and one of the things he said was, um, worldly peace, you have to guard it, right? I've got to curate my life to make sure there's no toxic people in my orbit. I've got, I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I've got to practice this to really hide my anxiety and guard it and protect it from getting destroyed by my circumstances. But the peace of heaven guards you. That's a beautiful difference. It's not a fragile peace. It is a deep peace and it can be yours in Christ. Pray urgently. 
Pray urgently, dear friends. And then number three, we're almost done. This will be, I think, the shortest point, I think. Think intentionally. Think intentionally. Let's look at verses eight and nine in the text. It says, finally, brother, at the, at the end of this whole book of Philippians, at the end of this little section of thought, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is telling us to set our minds in a different place. And he gives these eight things to ponder. I've often thought like, what, why these specific things? And I, I don't really have an answer for that, right? Why did, why did the spirit choose these specific things? What is honorable, just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable. But what I do notice is that in verse seven, he finishes by saying, um, God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus comes to mind for Paul, the first thing that he begins to think about is purity and honor and beauty and loveliness. All of these things, these eight things are wrapped up in a person. Who is more honorable than Jesus? When he was at a, a trial for crimes that he committed that was unjust and unfair. See, I would have been like, oh, heck no. No, no, no. It's, this is not happening. Listen, I have a full list of arguments why this is, you're incompetent. This doesn't work. All of these things. But what does Jesus do? With perfect honor, he closes his mouth. Whatever is just, who is more just than Jesus? Who satisfied the justice of God by taking all the weight of his wrath on him instead of on you? Who is more just than him? Who's more pure than Jesus? In his intention to make much of the Father and to rescue you. Who is more lovely than Jesus. Like Jesus didn't just save us. He did it with style, with loveliness, with beauty. Like read this book, y'all read the gospel accounts and you're going to go, Jesus, you are, you are not just good. You are great. You are great. He is beautiful in his heart. He is lovely. Who can be commended more than Jesus? Who can I recommend to you more than the living, breathing Christ? Like goodness, you got to meet him. You got to see him. You got to know him. He is excellent and worthy of praise. And I think Paul, with Jesus in mind, is telling us anywhere that you see shadows of the heart of Jesus in the world, you better pay attention. You better think on these things and they better point your heart upward to the one where all of those beautiful things originate. Your life is filled with billboards, but we've become so immune to advertising, we just don't pay attention to billboards anymore because somebody's always trying to sell us something right. But Jesus 
is trying to show himself to you again and again and again. And Paul says, if you're going to see him, you have to think intentionally. You have to set your mind on him. Can I ask you what, what your daydreams are about? I'm not saying you can't daydream about anything other than Jesus himself at every waking moment, but what I am telling you is that most of the time the content of our daydreams tell us something about the affection of our hearts, what we most love. You see, when you think about God, when you think intentionally about him and you think about what he's like and what he has done, you become so obsessed with his kingdom and his agenda for the world. I think Paul has this in mind here. You go into conflict differently. You face the anxiety of conflict differently. When I am obsessed with God and his ends and I go into conflict, guess what? I am now thinking more about what God thinks about Ben than I am thinking about what Ben thinks about me. And all of a sudden, I'm just free to like love this person and to say genuinely from my heart, hey, hey, our relationship is not on the table right here. We love each other. Like, why don't we sit down? We're, we have to say 10 things that we see about Jesus in one another before we can have this conflict. Before we can talk it out. Okay, now that our hearts are happy in God, we're going to pray. Jesus, we're very anxious about this. Take this anxiety. And then let's think deeply. Where have we seen God at work in one another? Okay, now we're ready. Why did you move the vacuum in the building? right? And, and, then, and then it's like, okay, what were we even fighting about? No, we love each other. That's not a real conflict, by the way. Um, that's not a big deal to me. You move the vacuum, I don't care. Um, it just changes the way you go into it when you think intentionally. And you may be asking yourself right now, it's like, okay, I mean, I can, I can get on the internet and I can find practices from the modern world that would teach me to like change my thoughts that will help me deal with anxiety. Why Jesus? Why does that matter? And here's the distinction. Here's why this matters so much. I'm not saying a, a practice like, like a gratefulness journal or whatever the thing is cannot be helpful. I've already told you earlier in the sermon that it is helpful, but, but here's the thing. When you just move toward introspection. Like when I just name what's going on inside of me, but there's nobody to rescue me from it, that is ultimately utterly devastating. Like you don't just need to know what's going on in the world around you and what's going on in you. You need to know the one who can rescue you from all of it, who will be with you in all of it. Paul is trying to tell us to look up. New City Church, this morning, and we need to look at me for this time. Look up. Look up. See God's work in this world. The text has told us to rejoice seriously, to pray urgently, to think intentionally. And as we come to the end of this sermon, you might be asking a question, okay, all of that makes a lot of sense, but I'm an anxious mess. 
What if you're an anxious mess? What if your conflict anxiety is through the roof 100%? What if you're saying things like, I, I don't enjoy God. I want to. But I, I don't even remember the last time that I prayed. And I think about God when I am in this room, but on an average Tuesday, an awareness of God's presence or who he is never even crosses my radar. Friend, can I tell you that Jesus handled anxiety perfectly on your behalf? All that the scriptures are commanding us to do today, Jesus did all of those things perfectly, and then he died in your place as your substitute. And so every failure in handling your anxiety that you bring into the room this morning, can I tell you the mercy of Christ is more for you. Jesus died for your sins and your brokenness in anxiety and in conflict. Can I tell you this morning, can I commend you to trust in him? to put your faith in him, to say to him, Jesus, I, I can't find joy in you right now. Will you restore to me the joy of salvation or bring to me the salva- joy of salvation for the first time? Will you teach me to pray? Will you fill my mind with different thoughts? Friends, when you surrender to Jesus, you will find the commands, the burdens of Jesus more and more as a light and joyful experience. There's a day coming when Jesus commands something of you and with joy in your heart, you say, how high? How high you want me to jump? But until then, the spirit wants to put power in you for new joy, for deep prayer, and for thoughtful intimacy with God. New city, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. And when you do this, the Bible tells us that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Think about the loveliness and the honor and the beauty and the glory of Christ this week. It's a wonderful invitation to lay down anxiety and to find peace. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Christ, we're an anxious, we're an anxious bunch. We're human. And Lord, some of us right now, we just, we feel like we've lost the trail and we don't even know how to get back. We feel completely lost in the wilderness of anxiety and we feel like we can't get our heads above the water. But we confess by what this text teaches us that you have taken it upon yourself to set off the trail into the wilderness and to find us. Christ, help us to open ourselves to being found this morning. Rid us of our anxiety, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And so I want to invite you to respond in a couple of ways this morning. Number one, uh, to reflect. 
reflect. Is there, is there a new truth about God that you need to believe this morning? Like, man, I didn't believe that God was lovely before, but I, that's true and I need to believe it. Is there an anxiety that you specifically need to lay down at the feet of Jesus this morning? Lay it down. Reflect. Ask God what he would have you do today. And then the second thing we do, we remember by taking the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is a meal for Christians where we take a little bit of juice and a small wafer where we remember um, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. And so when you come to the table today, I want you in your heart to name the particular anxiety that you are struggling to put in the hands of Jesus and say, when you take that juice and you take that wafer and you eat it and you drink it, say, Lord, I believe that you died for my sin in this whole thing. And I believe that now you want to take the weight of my anxiety. Remember his death and proclaim his death until he comes again by taking that meal. And then number three, we rehearse together. We're going to sing. Maybe the the first way that you can respond to God's word by rejoicing in the Lord is by singing with joy. Like just sing your guts out to the Lord this morning and see what he'll do with it. Okay. New City, I love you. I love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready.